Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've had a wonderful show so far. If you missed any of our one, it was Susie Larson. She was fantastic, as always, and you can learn more about that hour if you missed it at MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the podcast. Today, we're going to continue studying First Thessalonians with my friend and Bible teacher, Jeff Verdorn. Hey, Jeff. I love that pause. Uh, I, I, Hi, get, Bill. It's getting to be part of, part of who you are, the pause. No All one's right. going to say... When is Jeffrey Dorn going to be on again? You know, I was in a class the other day, oh, other day, what's, last night, and I said my name and and the person in the class who listens to this show and also was in the class <laughs> said, you are pausing longer in between your first and last name That's lately. I've noticed that. Funny. <laughs> All right. So what lesson is this? Is this like about 11? This is number 11. Number 11. 11. Okay. So we're, we're yeah, going to set I a record here. We're going to set a record what's here the for record? number of series. I don't know what the record is. Okay. What's our longest series so far? I don't know. It's about 10 or 11. I would say, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll probably go about five more. Okay. Well, we're not even into Second Thessalonians yet. Uh, okay, maybe six more. I, I would say six <laughs> or seven more. So we're now in chapter five of 1 Thessalonians chapter five. And what do you want to do, Jeff, to get started? Do you want to do a little recap? Or Let's we do just, just a little recap because we had a couple of really big concepts last time, one of which is this idea from uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So this is kind of a famous phrase, a famous description that's used often to describe the rapture of the church. But it says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So this is tying this event of the rapture, which comes as a thief in the night, with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord begins after the rapture of the church. It includes the seven-year tribulation period, and it includes the millennial reign of Christ on earth, which lasts a thousand years, making this day of the Lord a 1,000-year day. Oh, wait a minute. I think I've heard that someplace I before. I think I have too. A day of a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years like a like a day. Second Peter three eight. This was a, a big aha moment for me when I was studying this and kind of thought, well, wait a minute here. This is a thousand year day. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years like a day. So that's kind of cool. I like it a lot. In verse four of chapter five, we spent some time last time on this idea that the, this day, this day of the Lord, which is coming, will not surprise us like a thief. So while it comes as a thief in the night, when the world is not expecting him, it's not going to surprise us as believers. This day, the rapture isn't going to surprise us, not because we know when it is coming, but that we know it is coming. So we don't know when. We can't predict the timing. Scripture is very clear about this day, the rapture, that we cannot know the hour of the day. We cannot know when it's going to happen. It's not going to surprise us because we know that it is coming, not when it's coming. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how Jesus describes it, by the way. At the end of Matthew 24, he says this, as was in the days of Noah, 
so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. I believe that's the rapture. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage right up until the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about it. They, the world, the unbelieving world, knew nothing about about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. So this comparison of the events of the flood and Noah are being compared to the church and the rapture of the church. Noah knew that the flood was coming. We know the rapture is coming. Noah didn't know when the flood was coming. He was just busy building the ark, and he didn't have any idea. God didn't tell him when or how many years it was going to be. He just knew it was coming, and he was busy until that day. We don't know when the rapture is coming. Life seemed to be going on relatively normally before the flood. People were eating and drinking and marrying and so on. And so too at the rapture, I'm sorry, so too before the rapture, I think life is going to seem normal. It, it like, like the world has gone on uh, since, you know, for hundreds and thousands of years. The flood started at an unannounced time, so too the rapture will come at an unannounced time, and then finally destruction comes upon them, the unbelieving world, so too at the rapture, the wrath of God, the destruction that comes after the rapture will come upon them suddenly. So um, that was a couple of key points from last time that I just, I think are so neat that I just thought I'd share again on, in our review. And and some might be asking, well, wait a minute here, you you... We're studying Thessalonians, but it seems like you're talking about the rapture quite a bit, and that's because one of our big themes in this whole study is that Paul mentions the rapture and talks about the rapture in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Mm -hmm. Well done. I appreciate that little recap. That was really good to hear. All right, let's dig into chapter 5. I think we've got a couple of verses that I'm going to read. Is it 14 and 15? Yeah, start there, 14 and 15. All right. And we urge you. Brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Wow, it sounds like uh, if we all did more of this, the church would work a little better, wouldn't uh, it? I think you're right. And the world would work a yes. little bit better. Amen, yeah. I, I mean, I think these are all pretty straightforward exhortations from Paul to warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everybody, don't pay back wrong for wrong. Uh, Jesus said don't pay back evil for evil, uh, but always try to be kind to one another. Um, And it's pretty simple. This is kind of golden rule kind of stuff here, right? Um, If we all had, by the way, more fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to talk about today— and how we have more fruit of the Spirit. But if we all had more love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, this world and the church would be a much better place for sure. Mm-hmm. Read 16. Okay, my one of my favorites, First Thessalonians 5, 16, mm-hmm. two words, rejoice always. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm just going to... Yeah, so you're going to pause? I, I'm just going to pause there. Just pause there. I was going to say read 17 and 18. It kind of all goes together, but yeah, oh, that's the, the start of it. It's the trifecta. It is the it trifecta. It really is. Uh, 16 is rejoice always. 17 is pray continually. And 18 is give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Jeff, how many times have you heard people say, 
What's God? I just don't know what God's will for me is. I go, well, I got, I'll tell you what it is. It's right here. It is. Yeah. And you know that rejoice always is, I believe, the shortest verse in the New Testament. We mm-hmm. always think that uh, John 11.35 is Jesus wept, but this has fewer letters. In uh, the Greek. In the Greek. Oh. Then. And the shortest verse is Job 3.2. That's six letters. There's a little trivia. A little trivia. I, yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. But people always say Jesus wept is the shortest, but no. First Thess five sixteen is the shortest. Is to, that's a fun of, little of fact. Greek letter. So rejoice always. Shortest and, verse. And we are. And and you look at these. You call them the trifecta. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And in a lot of ways, I have a a chart. It's I call it the keys to faith. And the keys to faith are. One of them is being joyful always. God says, let your, uh, be always rejoicing, having nothing uh, yet possessing everything. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We rejoice in the hope of the Lord, glory of God. Rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 3.1 says. So this is a common theme in the New Testament, to be rejoicing. I, you know, if we as believers in Christ have eternal life, we should be rejoicing every single day. There is no greater gift than having eternal life, knowing that you are going to live forever with the Lord and dwell in the in his presence in the house of the Lord forever. My goodness, we should be giving, uh, rejoicing every single day. The next part of this is to pray, to have that relationship with your father, to communicate with your father, to to praise your father, to, um, as one of the passages that I love, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, bring your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's how we pray. We bring our requests to God. We bring our cares. We cast our cares upon the Lord. We bring them to him. We lay them at his feet. This is the idea that I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm going to trust God that he is good. He has my good in mind, and and I can trust him in everything. Mm -hmm. And so this is my don't worry, be happy verse. And and I love the song. Do you know that song? Don't worry, oh, yeah. be happy. Yeah, Bob being free. You know yeah. he was a Christian. I did know that. Yeah, you did you? Yeah. yeah I, he, I think he had this verse in mind when he, he wrote was that inspired song. by scripture. Yeah, yeah. I, I could camp on this verse for a while though, Jeff, because rejoice always. Those are powerful words. They're right, uh, as Paul says in his letter to the Thessalonians. But to act on them and to apply them in your life is really tough for a lot of people, including the show host. Yeah, so this is where I think if you want to rejoice, remember, rejoicing or joyfulness is one of the fruits in the Spirit. Like I said, we're going to get there. And if if you are lacking love, joy, peace, patience, I'm not naturally a patient person. But I have found that when I am abiding in Christ more, I will have more patience. I think that's true with all the fruits in the Spirit. Right now on this verse, the next one is giving thanks in all circumstances. So I think some of the foundations of faith, some of the keys to faith, which I call the keys of faith, is this idea of thankfulness. And it's twin cousin, by the way, contentment. I think we can be thankful 
I think most Christians are generally thankful for the gift of salvation first and foremost, but for everything. Give thanks in all circumstances, it says. Be thankful in whatever you do, Colossians 3 says. Always give thanks to the Father, Ephesians 5 says. Joyfully giving thanks, overflowing with thankfulness, Colossians 1 says. This is one of the keys to faith and its twin cousin, contentment. Paul says in Philippians 4, I've learned to be content, the secret of being content in every situation. Notice a couple of things about that. Paul had to learn it, and it's a secret. I don't think we are naturally content. It's something that we have to practice. It's something that we have to set our minds to, is purposely being thankful to God and then being content in whatever our circumstances. And then I think that joy that we were just talking about, that joyfulness, that will be the result. So as we cast our cares upon the Lord, when we don't worry about anything, but we pray about everything, giving thanks to him and being content in our circumstances, um, I think that's the keys to living by faith. Because when, 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 when the Bible says the righteous shall live by faith, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people say, well, what does that look like? What do you mean? What does it mean to live by faith? Well, we just, I think, described it. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Be thankful in all circumstances and be content. And then his joy will will be the result. Mm, so good, Jeff Erdorn. We have to make sure that we follow uh, this admonition to pr- rejoice always and pray continually. And that is, I hope, what your default is when you are in any set of circumstances. I have to rejoice that God is sovereign and in control. And, and I have to trust that above all. That's a great way for me to feel that rejoicing spirit. You know, James even says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Peter says, but rejoice that you are participating in the sufferings of Christ. This is a high bar, not only to be joyful and rejoice always, but do it even in your suffering. Do it even when your circumstances are not uh, ideal, when you have challenging circumstances. Is it in those moments that you can truly praise the Lord and rejoice in the Lord? You know, I think of that story in Acts 16 when Paul is in prison and he's chained up. He is, uh, it's late at night and it says in scripture that they're praying and singing hymns. He's rejoicing to the Lord, and he's he's in prison. I mean, I, I, I don't think that that is the natural response for too many of us. But what happens? The Lord comes, an earthquake comes, the, 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 the gates swing open, the shackles fall off, and the, the guard rushes in. And in disbelief that they're still there, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and have that same joy that we have. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And just to add into that story, Jeff, if the prisoners were to have escaped, he would have been executed. The guard. Yeah, that's one of the common uh, penalties. If yeah. you were a guard in the Roman world in those days and your prisoners escaped, you would be Eesh. sentenced to death. That's kind of tough. Here's another story from Acts 13, if I can read it. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas 
and expelled them from their region. So they shook off the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to, uh, they went on to another city. And it says this in 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Mm. They just got kicked out of the city. Yeah. They had to dust the feet, the dust off their feet and move on from this place. And here they are rejoicing to the Lord. Ooh, can we do that? Can we do that as believers? Can we implement that in our lives? When you know that you have eternal life, yes. when you know what Paul says, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered in the mind of man, the wonders that God has in store for us, we know our future, we know our inheritance, and we know the Lord keeps us secure in his hand. That's pretty comforting. We're going to take a break. We come back, continue our study in First Thessalonians. Get your Bible out. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Welcome to the show. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're in First Thessalonians. He's been taking us on a study of that. We're in lesson number 11, and we're in chapter 5. And Jeff, again, this is a wonderful study. We're going to get to this abiding principle that I hope we spend some time with today. We will. All so right. read verse 19. I'm going to key off this verse. All right. This is uh, only, let's see, f- five words. So mm-hmm. do not quench the spirit. So that what version is that? Uh, NIV. NIV. Yep. So uh, the old NIV says, do not put out the spirit's fire. Okay. The new King James version says, do not quench the spirit. The new living translation says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. So so the question is, as believers, how do we quench or stifle the Holy Spirit? Does it mean we're, that we're not listening to God? Does it mean we're not being led by the Spirit? Does it mean that we're, we're not keeping in step with the Spirit? Galatians 5.25, are you relying on your own power instead of the power of, of God to work in and through you? Are you conforming to this world? Instead of being transformed by the renewal of your mind, Romans 12, verse 1, um, I think at the core, when we quench the Spirit, remember, this has nothing to do with salvation. You are secure in your salvation. What you're doing is you're not listening to God. You're not trusting in the Lord. You're not living by faith. Our last conversations, you're not being joyful, always praying, continually giving thanks in all circumstances. And I think one of the keys is that you're probably not abiding in Christ. When we abide in Christ, as we mentioned in the first segment, we will bear more fruit. So I want to read John 15, because this principle comes from the vine and the branches example that Jesus speaks about in John chapter 15 that says this. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off 
every branch in me that bears no fruits. Now, hang on to that cuts off for a okay. second because we're going to clean that up a little bit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine or abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So some key points that we see here. The branches that are connected to the vine are those who are saved. They are in Christ. Um, as as uh, Philippians says, we are united with Christ. As Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, I think mm-hmm. 17, may they be one just as we are one. Mm-hmm. We have been invited into the Godhead. We are united with Christ. That is what the abiding is. It's the branch that's connected to the vine. Christ is the vine. We are the branches. We are connected or abiding in him. Branches not connected to the vine, what happens to them? They are gathered up and burned, thrown into the fire and burned. Well, clearly that is a picture of hellfire. That's for unbelievers, those that are not connected to the vine. And of course, a branch cannot bear fruit on its own. It can only bear fruit when it's connected to the true source of the production of real fruit, and that is the vine. That is Jesus. One other point, I mentioned this cuts off word. Let me read that portion again really quick. He says, um, I just lost, here it is, verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, this sounds like, on its surface, that you can be a branch connected to the vine. In other words, you can be saved. But if you're not bearing enough fruit, Jesus is going to cut you off, and you're going to be as if an unbeliever. In other words... It sounds like, uh, at first glance, that you could lose your salvation. You can be cut off from Christ. Now, we don't have time to go into the whole study of this idea that we have assurance of salvation, but it comes up in the New Testament over and over and over that once you believe and are saved, you have eternal life. He gives you the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit will be with you for how long? Forever. He says, having believed you were marked in him with the deposit of the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the day of Christ Jesus. God says that your salvation is kept in heaven, shielded by his power, by God's power, until that day. Over and over and over in the New Testament, God declares that once what he has begun, he will finish. Mm -hmm. And that he holds you in your hands and nothing can take you out of his hands. He will never leave you never forsake you. I mean, we could go on for an hour of all the verses that declare that we have this assurance of salvation. Yeah, I would, part of me would love to, uh, just because it's so encouraging and uplifting, and it fills people's sense of who God is, and it gives them that confidence that who doesn't want to be assured of that over and over? Yeah, I mean, the 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 idea from the New Testament that we can know, that we know, that we know. First John 5 says, I write these things to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. 
We can know that we know that we know that we are saved. So so let's take that doctrine, and we've done a lot of those assurance passages before on air uh, a number of times, mm-hmm. actually, because I think it's just a wonderful study. I never tired of that. A, a wonderful mm-hmm. truth of God that once you're saved, you are saved for all of eternity. Once you're born again, nothing can unborn you again. Um, so that truth, let's bring that doctrine to this passage. If it's true that we cannot lose our salvation, well, then it can't mean that that a believer is going to be cut off from Christ if they don't bear enough fruit. Because how are we saved? Are we saved by faith or are we saved by bearing fruit? Well, of course we are saved by faith, right? It's by faith you have been saved. Mm-hmm. So, so the idea that just because you're not bearing enough fruit for some standard fruit inspector or something, you're going to be <laughs> cut off from Jesus? No, it can't be. One of the things I'm very thankful about is one of the first Bible studies that I took was uh, from a ministry that had a class on how to handle difficult passages. And this was the passage that it was on. It was a three-day class just on this passage. And one of the keys to understanding a difficult passage is to say, okay, what's the context within that chapter? What's the context in the book? And what's the context, obviously, in in the rest of the New Testament and really the rest of the Scripture? Well, John just spent 14 chapters telling you that if you believe, you will have eternal life. And, and then he comes into John 15 and he says, oh, by the way, if you don't bear enough fruit, he's gonna, you're going to cut off and you're going to lose your eternal life? Yeah. No way. One of the next principles is if, it's, if, you're, if it doesn't make sense in the English, let's take a look at the Greek to see if we can glean something from the Greek. And that's what we do next. And we, we see if we look at the Greek, and by the way, looking at the Greek today is very easy. There's apps you can do it. You can go online. The Blue Letter uh, uh, Bible, blb.org, uh, is a great place that you can just click on a verse and see the Greek words and check this out for yourself. The word translated cuts off in English is the Greek word aro, A-I-R-O. And the primary definition of aro is to lift up not cuts off. I don't know why the English translators decided, uh, from a couple of different versions of the Bible, decided on cuts off, but I think the better translation of aro is to lift up. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know about vines and branches, and you have a vine, I'm sorry, a branch that's not bearing much fruit, one of the things that you might do is you might pick it up off the ground and tie it up on a trellis, and you might prune it a little bit so that it might be fruitful. Let me read this passage with this understanding. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it might even be more fruitful. Mm-hmm. Now, doesn't that make more sense of a picture of a gardener taking sure care of a does. vineyard? Yeah. And everybody knows, Jeff, because I learned this from you, that when you prune something, because I'm not a gardener, but when you do prune it, it can end up when you're done looking a little, little raw and a little ugly. It, it can until it starts producing that right. fruit that the pruning yeah. is designed right. to bring right. on. Absolutely. So the bottom line is this, Christian, Jesus will never cut you off from the vine. 
You are in, if you are truly born again and you are in Christ Jesus, he wants you to be fruitful. He might lift you up and tie you off and prune you that you might be more fruitful, but he's never going to cut you off because the branches that are cut off from the vine are gathered up and burned. And that's clearly a picture of hellfire. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you are not appointed to suffer wrath of God. You, the second death has no power over you. The second death is the lake of fire. It is the fire of hell. And uh, and that's not your destiny. Your destiny is eternal life in the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. All right. So we established that. Now, let's look at the abiding principle. Let's do that I after described. the break. Okay. That'll give us a nice piece of time to Perfect. work on that. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're continuing our study. We're, matter of fact, in Lesson 11 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be right back. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? Thank you for joining me today. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're continuing studying Thessalonians. I'm loving this study. We're gonna we're gonna go deep here, Jeff. We're gonna dig into this passage, this lift up, and you know, there's a lot of people that fear they can lose their salvation. Well, you read a couple of texts where that's really good news that Jesus will not David said that, yeah. Yeah, cut off a believer. From the vine. Um, and I think that is really good news. You know, there, there's another passage in Revelation what, that I think people misunderstand often, and that's where Jesus says he will spit you out of your mouth because you are lukewarm. And that's often portrayed as if that could potentially happen to a believer who happens to be lukewarm. And in reality, if you really understand that passage, it's the people who are lukewarm are unbelievers. They are the ones who are spit out of Jesus's mouth. Jesus will never cut you off from the vine, Christian. He will never spit you out of his mouth. Ever. Ever. Mm -hmm. Matthew 7 is another one where he says, I never knew you depart from me. And there's some Christians that walk in fear. People have asked me this over the years that, you know, what happens if he doesn't know me and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And I said, well, you're not understanding the proper context of that passage. That passage starts with this, beware of false prophets. That is who Jesus is talking about in the passage. They are the ones, these false prophets, are the ones that he will say to, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus will never say, depart from me, to a true believer in Christ. You're united with him. You've been made one with him. He dwells within you. The God of the universe dwells within us. He will never cut you off. He will never spit you out of his mouth. And he will never, ever say, depart from me, I never knew you. Jeff, what about the part of the passage where Jesus says, I prefer you to be hot or cold. He would never say to a person, I would, I would prefer you be cold for me. Correct. He would never say that. That would make no sense. Yeah. I mean, a little more detail on that without going way into it here. People use hot, lukewarm, and cold as a temperature scale for faith. I'm hot for Jesus. I'm lukewarm for Jesus. I'm cold for Jesus. That's not what that passage is about. It's not about your faith. It's not about your level of faith. When you start reading the first part of that passage, Jesus says, I know your deeds. 
He's talking about usefulness. Hot water came from Herodian into Laodicea. That water was useful to the Laodiceans, hot mineral water. Cold spring water came in from Colossae. That water in the aqueduct coming in was also useful to the Laodiceans. But when it mixed, it became a lukewarm, brackish kind of mix that wasn't good for anything except being spit out. It's the lukewarm that are the unbelievers. Hot and cold are good. Cold is good in that picture Mm -hmm. to the Laodiceans. They would have understood that hot is good, cold is good, lukewarm is worthless. (laughs) And that is what Jesus is saying. If you are worthless, if you're not connected to the vine, you're going to be gathered up and burned. If you're useless, if you're lukewarm, you're going to be spit out of my mouth. It's the lukewarm in that passage that are unsaved. All right, here's a modern-day application, Jeff. Hot coffee, cold coffee, both good. But you grab a cup and you think it's hot or cold and it's lukewarm, you get rid of it as fast as you can, don't you? That That's a good—actually, that's a good analogy because anymore there's as much cold coffee sold as there is yeah. hot coffee. Yeah. All right, let's dig into this little heavy-hitting passage. This comes from Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift— who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. So does this verse say you were once enlightened and you've tasted the heavenly gift and now you've fallen away and you can't be brought back? Yeah, this is a one of these really fascinating verses. It's another hard, difficult passage that we need to understand. We could actually probably do a whole show on this we passage, should, Bill. We should, actually, sometime. Maybe it's a guy talk thing. Yeah, maybe. Here is, uh, here's the bottom line. It it's Some will say that this is a proof passage that you can actually lose your pa- salvation, right? Uh, but the whole passage starts with this idea that it is impossible— In other words, Paul is setting up an impossibility here. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God, if they fall away. Do you see this impossibility? Yep. He's saying this is impossible to happen. They cannot fall away. We know that from our previous discussion that we have assurance of salvation. Now, some would argue that Paul is talking about um, people here who have just heard the truth, but never really received the truth. And that who this passage is talking about. But I don't think so. I When I read the phrases like they've been enlightened, they've tasted in the heavenly gift, they've shared in the Holy Spirit, this sure seems to me like Paul was talking about a true believer. Mm-hmm. So since we know a true believer cannot lose their salvation, what's the only other explanation? The only other explanation in my mind is that Paul has set up an impossibility here. He's saying it is impossible to lose your salvation because if you were to lose your if you were to walk away from Christ and lose your salvation, Paul is saying you'd have to crucify the son of God all over again and we know that that is an impossibility. Christ was sacrificed once for all, sat down at the right hand of the Father, never to be sacrificed again. So Paul's saying you can't lose your salvation because it's impossible to sacrifice Christ all over again. Mm-hmm. Jeff, can I ask you a question from our listening family? Sure. Uh, regarding salvation, how does this translate to Christians who practice 
deliverance ministries and believe that generational curses can affect born-again Christians? Well, uh, generational curses, another big topic. Um, Let's just say this. Um, As a believer in Christ Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. They've been washed clean. You are now holy and blameless before God. You are a saint. You are holy. You are Saint Bill. Hi, Saint Bill. Hey, Saint Jeff. I like that phrase. Yeah, so Saint Wyatt's looking at us too right that's now. That's right. All right. Yeah, he Saint. wants some attention. Um, the gathering of the <laughs> He's saints. Shaking his head no. <laughs> so Saint me is the Greek word hagios. It just means holy. You've been set apart. You've been made holy. Demonic activity, while it can oppress the believer, while it can torment and affect believers, while we Paul says, know the devil's schemes, right? What are his schemes? Well, he lies. Are we believing the lies of the world? He torments, he torments us. In other words, some of the stuff that's happening in the world is evil. There is evil in this world and it comes from the evil one and he can torment us uh, in this world. How many Christians have been martyred for Christ over the last 2,000 years? He can even destroy the body. Do not fear him who can destroy the body. That's Satan who has the power uh, to, to, to kill even believers in this world, but he has no power over your soul, over the eternal destiny of your soul. That is kept in heaven by God himself. Um, So yes, so generally speaking, believers cannot be um, possessed by demons in any way, but they can be oppressed by demonic activity. Um, I question generational curses in, in the sense that, remember, Remember the story of the the blind man and the disciples asked Jesus, um, whose sin is responsible basically for his blindness, his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says it was neither. It was not a result of the sin, but he says, so that the Son of Man may be glorified uh, today, and he heals the the blind man. So I, I'm, I'm very careful of ascribing sins, past sins of previous generations that are oppressing uh, us today. All right, Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're in our study of First Thessalonians, although we've wandered off the path just a little <laughs> bit today, which I love because this has been such a good study. But let's get back to do not quench the spirit. Let's talk more about how we abide in him. Yeah, so we talked about um, this abiding principle right before the break and how now as Christians do we abide in in Christ, and therefore um, display the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we we mentioned these earlier. I'm going to repeat them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if those sound like really good uh, characteristics that you want to have, here's how you get more. That is, you abide in Jesus. So he says, abide in me, and he will bear this fruit. I think this abiding principle, we, we actually see this over and over in Scripture. He says, God says, love the Lord of your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Abide in me. Love me. Trust in me. Just as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in his love. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let us fix, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes not on what is seen, the worldly things, but on what is unseen, the heavenly things. Store up your treasures in heaven, right? Where moth and rust 
cannot destroy and thieves cannot break and steal. Because where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Live by the Spirit. Let us draw near to God. Let's have undivided devotion to Christ. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I think all of these passages are saying the same thing. Connect to God. Connect to the source of your power. Love him. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Abide in him. And when we abide in him, you will display more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Mm-hmm. Those, by the way, I call those the internal fruit of the Spirit. Those are really characteristics that then allow us to produce external fruit, the good works that God calls us to do. Mm-hmm. So good. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're going to take a break and come back and continue our study in First Thessalonians. If you're a brand new listener to Faith Radio, you can request a free welcome pack right now. Just text the word welcome to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Jeff, thank you for being here and teaching us uh, Thessalonians. We're in First Thessalonians chapter 5 with Jeff Verdorn, our teacher. And Jeff, I want to continue on. Let me read some more. Yes, 20 through 22. Oh, perfect. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Well, avoiding evil seems to be kind of a no-brainer for a Christian, right? I mean, we are called to be saints, to live holy, not to conform to this world and the evils of this world. So I think that's pretty straightforward. This testing everything, we are called to be discerning. We should know the truth. We should know God's truth. We should know his ways, his promises, his precepts, his doctrines, and test every idea that that we come across against the word of God, which is our standard, right? So in 1 John, John says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into this world. Do you know there are thousands of fake or false religious systems and religious ideas, worldview ideas that are out in the world today. And we're exposed to them all the time. And God says, test them all, compare them, bump them up against the word of God, which is our standard and our guide. Mm -hmm. How about 23 and 24? Let's see, 23 and 24. May God himself, the the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite ideas in all of Scripture, and, and so important to understand, because if you don't understand this idea that we, our body, soul, and spirit, as Paul just described here, uh, so many other New Testament passages just won't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the fall and our regeneration, our rebirth, our being born again won't make sense 
unless you understand that we are a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. So really quick here. The body, uh, in the Greek, soma, this is our physical body. This is the body in which we dwell in a physical universe and which we experience a physical world, right? We have our senses, our sight, and our taste, and our touch, our smell, and so on. And this is how we experience the physical world. We all understand that. Our soul, this is the Greek word suke. It's where we get the word psychology or the or psychology, the study of the suke. Um, it's fascinating because most psychologists today do not believe that we have an immaterial soul, and yet their profession is called psychology, the study of the soul. <laughs> but the soul is an immaterial part of you. That's what makes you, you. This is your mind, your will, your emotion, your memories, your decision-making, everything. Remember when James says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is the soul that directs the body. This is the part where we decide, are we going to are we going to order the hot coffee or the cold coffee? Are we going to buy a soft pillow or a firm pillow? And so on. Do we, are we going to believe that Jesus is the son of God or not believe that Jesus is the son of God? We do that in our soul. When God by the way says, "Love the Lord with all of your heart and all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength." That heart, mind and soul, they're all the same thing. Your heart doesn't love your heart is a pumping organ, right? Mm-hmm. What he is describing and repeating three times for emphasis is that love the Lord your God with all that you have and all that you are, with all of your soul. So we often try to describe our soul in terms of physical uh, uh, organs, like, you know, I just felt it in my gut or I right. love you with all of my heart. Uh, actually, in some cultures, the seat of emotion is the liver, you know, I, that just doesn't, you know, I love you with all my liver. Mm, and does for me. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, also, Jeff, I say love the Lord your God with the decisions you make. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So when he says with all of your heart and soul and mind, that fits right it there. Does. That's mm-hmm. part of your soul, who you are. The last part of you is the pneuma in the Greek, the spirit. So you are a three-part being. By the way, just like God is a three-part being, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. Now, here's the critical understanding of body, soul, spirit. When Adam, who was made by God, alive spiritually, alive, and what that really means, being alive spiritually, is being united with God, his spirit dwelling within your spirit. That's spiritual life. You're spiritually alive. God said, if you eat this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, Adam and Eve walked out of the garden after they ate the fruit. Their bodies didn't die. Their soul, who they are, their decision-making, their mind, their will, their emotions, that didn't die. So what died that day? And it's, they died a spiritual death, Mm -hmm. a separation from God. Now that they've sinned, God withdrew from Adam and Eve, and they became spiritually dead, separated from God, dead in their trespasses and sins. And every single person that's ever been born since is born with that same nature. We're born in Adam, spiritually dead. Mm -hmm. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, we are what Jesus told Nicodemus on that rooftop in John chapter 3, you must be born again for spirit gives birth to spirit. 
When we are made alive in Christ, we move from death to life. All these passages that says that that we were once dead, but now we are alive. It, it's not, again, it's not our physical body that God is talking about. He's mm-hmm. talking about our spirit, that when we believe and are saved, his spirit ma- makes this rebirth of our spirit, and we become alive in Christ. Our spirit part of us becomes alive. That's what being born again is all about. When God says that you have been made a new creation, we have now been made new spiritually. Our spirit, our pneuma in the Greek, has been made alive. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Now over time, hopefully our soul is going to change, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't change right away. But as we trust in him, as we abide in him, our decision-making, as you just described, our emotions, our memory, our joyfulness, all of that should start changing mm-hmm. now that our spirit has been made alive. So that's going to be transformed over time. Yeah, Theologians call that progressive sanctification. What would be a typical sample of that, Jeff? Maybe on the golf course uh, prior to being born again, you would tell a horrible joke. And once you become born again, you you... You think I'm going to love the Lord with the decisions I make, and that's not who I am. It's not who I am. It's not what I do anymore. So all of a sudden, you find yourself feeling a little tempted to want to tell it, but you don't, and then you've made a decision. Correct. Is that an application that's that you can... absolutely okay? If you've had before your salvation, if you had patterns of behaviors before you were saved that you now find have changed since you've been saved, and I think we can all cite examples of that. Coarse language is one of That's them, one right? Of them. Yeah, Paul says, do not let any coarse language come out of your mouth, but only that which honors him. Take every thought captive uh, to the Lord and uh, to obedience of Christ. Um, so, yes, your your behavior should change. And then finally, your body, we know, is wasting away. Yeah, it is indeed. Thank you so much, Jeff. We've got lots more work to do in Thessalonians. We I'll do. look forward to our next study. Lesson 11, that's our show for the day. Oh, it's been great being with you. I hope you've had a wonderful day and thank you for spending time with me and thank you for caring about me and liking Faith Radio and loving Faith Radio. It all means the world to us. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.